Dotnet Rocks episode 669 with guest David Nielsen. Recorded live Monday, May 30th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl, it's Richard, it's .NET, it's good. It is good. How are you, buddy? Ah, uh, you know, no rest for the wicked. <laughs> you always say that. You must be wicked. I'm very wicked. So, yeah, not a lot of rest for me. I got to tell you a great story that happened in New London a couple of days ago. Hit me. Well, the Franklin Brothers did their debut appearance locally in town at a, at a ceremony called the Whaley Awards, which awesome. is all about honoring local musicians who have released a song or an album on, on disc and mm-hmm. is from New London. And then they put it up on the website. People got to vote in various categories, a lot like the Grammys. Yeah. But it's all about New London. So um, they, it, I have a, a, a link to an article they did in the local paper, the New London Day, about it, in which there's video of the Franklin Brothers Band, and there's um, you know a nice article that describes it. That's at tinyurl.com slash whaleys, W-H-A-L-I-E-S. And we won... Uh, a Whaley Award for best, and this is a weird one because there's hyphenated, you know, there's slashes best, uh, what is it? Blah, blah, blah. Best blues slash country rock. So it's nice. blues rock slash country rock, right? Congratulations. Performance. And New London Blues got it. Ah, uh, yeah. And it's actually a song about your town. It's, it's about my town. It's a funky, bluesy song with, we had a 10 piece band with a horn section. We were all badass with our shades and stuff. And it was great. <laughs> <laughs> you had a good time. And I'm going to share the song with our listeners. If you go to the website, dotnetrocks.com, look under this show and, uh, you'll see a link to it. There so you I'm going to share it. Have a listen. It's one of my favorite tunes you do. It's a very cool song. And it's on our upcoming album, which is called Lifeboat to Nowhere. And we'll have that available for for sale. In, nice. Uh, pretty soon. Pretty soon now. Hey, let's get into Better Know Framework. Awesome. This is, um, a, you know, it, it occurred to me that there's so many good uh, things on CodePlex that you might miss. Yeah. That we, we've I done a few would, shows. Yeah. We, every time we do a show on a project that's on CodePlex, people are like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is so good. Well, what I did was I went and I looked at the most downloaded uh, projects. Mm-hmm. And number two is the Microsoft All-in-One Code Framework. Oh. We need a whole show on this. It sounds like it, yeah. Here's what it says. Are you frustrated by the lack of code samples for – and by the way, this is totally free. Of course. Are you frustrated by the lack of code samples for a certain programming task? Have you ever struggled to quickly get started with a technique? Have you expected someone to write code samples for you based on your requests for free? (laughs) 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 We do that. Is a one-step code sample library for all Microsoft development technologies attractive to you? There you go. If your answer is yes to any of these questions, the Microsoft All-in-One Code Framework is for you. Free, centralized code sample library driven by developers' needs. And you can download it at onecode.codeplex.com. That's the number one code, 
www.codeplex.com and it's free and it is one of the top downloaded 10,177 downloads in the past week that is in the last week <laughs> yes so enjoy that all in awesome. one code framework richard uh we got a we got some mail we do. Uh, I should have grabbed a comment from the website. And if you haven't been to the new .NET Rocks website, you're missing out. Yeah. Come and talk to us. We talk back and we send mugs to comments we read on the show. And so do our guests. Our guests yeah. engage you in conversations on the website as well. Yeah, it's working really well. Yep. So Daniel Marbach commented on show 666, which was the show we did with uh, Steve Smith on performance tuning. Yeah. And he said, hello, guys. First of all, thanks for the amazing show. I always listen to .NET Rocks while cleaning our apartment. It makes housekeeping a breeze. That's awesome. <laughs> I think it is also very important to state that you shouldn't pre-optimize the application you are building too much for performance. I always encourage people to think about their business requirements and then go depending on the requirements for best practices. It is almost impossible to foresee all possible paths on how your application will perform under heavy load. In German, there is a saying that's in German, but it translates as things never turn out the way you expect. Yep. This was a conclusion I came to with my point of view after listening to the podcast. And we never brought this up, but, you know, absolutely true. All the best from wonderful Lucerne in Switzerland. And if you're ever in Switzerland nearby, call me and I'll show you a good beer place. All right. Yes. Daniel, thanks so much for your comment. I absolutely agree. You should not optimize till you ship your app because you won't know what to optimize. And tuning stuff, you'll invariably find out that's not what you needed to tune. So that's you right. are correct, sir. I agree. I'll send you a mug. And if you've got questions, concerns, things you want to add to our show, write a comment on the show at .netrocks.com. Our guest today is Dave Nielsen. Dave is the founder and principal consultant of Platform D. Uh, he is a web services industry professional with over six years of experience guiding high-profile developer programs for companies such as PayPal, StrikeIron, and many others. As a seasoned developer, entrepreneur, technical evangelist, and director of partner programs, Dave's experience gives him the experience and credibility to help guide your product strategy and develop a developer marketing plan to help you succeed. Dave is the founder of CloudCamp and the author of the book PayPal Hacks. Dave holds a Bachelor of Science degree in business marketing from Cal Poly State University. Welcome, David. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. Glad to have you on the show. The um, Platform D, the website, is this your consulting company? Yeah, I basically uh, one-man show. And you're all about the cloud. That's right. I've uh, been doing web services for the last uh, seven years, and then uh, after that, cloud computing kicked into high gear. Um, so I got a little early to that, and I've been working in the uh, cloud space for the past uh, three years. So when our listeners think of cloud, they think of Amazon, they think of Azure. Which uh, what, What's the state of these various cloud offerings yeah, well, I think of those two as well. There's a bunch of others, and uh, it seems like everybody's got a cloud these days. Every, uh, even a cloud on your desktop. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Private cloud. Well, you will someday, for sure. Yeah. Or cloud in a box. Yep, there's lots of those. You can get the cloud delivered to your company in a shipping container. Yeah. Pretty big box. Is this a really overused term these days? Um. I think it actually might become the new term, you know, the one that we use instead of saying, like, the Internet. Yeah. Or, 
the web. I think the web will stick around, but um, you know, when you're talking about applications and using uh, applications on the web, I think we're just talking about the cloud. So it's really the the internet and web for business developers on the internet. Yeah, kind of. I mean, that's it's our term. The, the cloud implies somebody else is managing things for you, and right. So when when you're talking about you know, using a service, I think we'll talk about uh, um, you know the cloud, and then when we talk about looking up information, we might talk about you know look it up on the web. Right. So yeah. the cloud is kind of like a subset of the web in a way. Um, at least that's one way to look at it. Yeah, okay. And so uh, what you, you've done some work for PayPal. Was that cloud-based work, or was that uh, just straight-up web development? No, actually, I was, uh, I was their PayPal's first uh, web API evangelist. Whoa. Yeah, back in 2003. Um, back then, the APIs were pretty simple, but... Um, uh, we did have this thing called IPN, which you could, would, would, where PayPal would ping your server and tell you that you had received a payment. IPN, on, what's PayPal the? PayPal launched its own, uh, like, full-on web APIs for actually doing payments over the web. Define IPN so, for us. Yeah, it's, just, it's called uh, Instant Payment Notification. Okay. So it's like a REST-based API call to your server. Nice. Yeah, and so back then, you know, using web APIs to... Uh, as, as a part of your website was was pretty minimal. Folks weren't doing that a whole lot. And, you know, you would you, you ran the risk uh, per se of um, you know having your website go down if the other company's API didn't respond or something. And there was very little of that back then. Uh, sort of frowned upon, I guess. And then um, uh, you know, 2006 when mashups kind of became all the rage. So all of a sudden, everyone was realizing that there was so much value in using that somebody else's data or service that Mm. it was worth the risk. And that's kind of when we started kicking off in this whole cloud computing space where you you rely on somebody else to provide something pretty critical to your your website. Especially you talk about a payment system where I don't make money if this doesn't work. Right. But, you you know, with payments, you really have no other choice because it's not like you're going to, you know, build your own payment processor. Right. I guess that's true. Yeah. Kind of had to do it. There, there were there were different types of data back then. You just had to do like you know real time stock quotes, mm-hmm. you know stuff like that. Um, so you know whether you know you had to rely on somebody else to some degree. Yeah. Uh, just PayPal or payments was one of the ones where you you had you had to do it in real time. So it's, it was pretty pretty important. I'm trying to stratify out the net here because when I think of EC2, those are just virtual instances and the apps are up to me. And when I, and then Azure gets into this whole worker process, uh, role and, and, uh, presentation role. And now you own even less of the system. You have to write the code to fit to it. Um, where right. do you fall into this? What do you, what are you focused on? Well, the, well, I'm focused on it all. I mean, I've been running cloud camps now for almost three years. We've had over 200 cloud camps around the world. I've been personally to over 100 of them. Wow. Uh, yeah, and I've had, you know, hundreds of conversations about what is cloud computing, and you know, and this is all on top of the seven years of web API conversations I've been managing through my web API user group, uh, which is now 10 years old uh, last month, actually. Um 
So, I mean, I have a very long history with this topic, and, uh, you know, it evolved into cloud computing, but all of that past services-based uh, discussions and conversations sort of all helped inform me about what this is all about. Right. So, uh, I mean, I, I, have, uh, I have my own perspective, and I'd be happy to share that with you and your listeners. Um, sure. And, uh, yeah, and, and CloudCamp, you know, is continuing on. We're starting to do some, some vertical-specific camps. But um, as far as, like, you know, my perspective on cloud computing, I think the most important thing to consider is that um, cloud computing as a term really became interesting after 2006 when Amazon EC2 and Salesforce, Force.com, both mm. went into beta. And the reason it was interesting, and the whole reason why we're still you know, talking about this as being exciting is because those are the first two services that successfully let you put your code up on their servers where they managed it as a cloud service. Right. Now, I get that for Amazon, but talk about Salesforce, because I thought it was just a CRM product uh, uh, online. Oh, right. Yeah, well, that's what they're most famous for, but they also have this thing called uh, Force.com, which used to be called Apex back when it was. And Force.com is a place where you put, uh, originally, you kind of just put snippets of code up there, little bits of uh, Apex code, which kind of looks like Java a little bit. It's proprietary language, but you could copy and paste it or, you know, uh, write it and paste it up on their website, and then they would manage it, and it would talk to their databases. And then over time, um, you know, so that was like, you know, running your code on their platform. Right. And uh, and then over time, they opened it up so that you could run it um, for any website, not just to talk to uh, Salesforce's uh, CRM database. So you could have your own standalone database. You could, you know, create an HR system or, you know, maybe a financial system or, you know, some, you know, maybe a little payment tool to help pay sales commissions for your salespeople. I mean, you can do anything you wanted really up there as long as it was, um, uh, it could be written in a scripting language. So, and I'm with you. Most people think of Salesforce.com for the CRM product and thought they just sort of jumped on the cloud bandwagon. If you don't know about Force.com, I mean, this is a full out cloud development environment now. Yeah, it is. And, I mean, they, they were first to do platform as a service, quite frankly. I mean, there's other companies before them, but they all pretty much failed or, you know, just never got launched. But uh, Force.com was, they did it well. And um, it kind of got overshadowed when, uh, you know, EC2 launched because with EC2 you could put your own operating system up there. You know, you could choose Windows or, or Linux and right. you know, do whatever you wanted, whereas with Force.com as a platform as a service, you get a lot of nice things like automatic scalability, but you you are limited to that proprietary environment. So, do you you don't call EC two platform as a service? Is it infrastructure as a service? Yeah, it's infrastructure as a service. Um, they, you know, Amazon Web Services does have some platform as a service features like uh, Simple DB, and um, you know, like you could kind of call. Uh, um, they have like a Elastic MapReduce, which is kind of like Hadoop as a service. So they do have some. Right. Platform as a service features, but you know, for the most part, it's primarily an infrastructure as a service. And then we got Azure. Uh, that's the Canadian pronunciation. Actually, it's kind of like right between the two, because <laughs> in a way, it's it's not really infrastructure service. 
And it's not really, I mean, it is platform as a service, but it also is operating system as a service. Right. You, know, you, you get Windows all managed for you. You don't have to worry about updates or patches or virus, you know, Trojan or any of that kind of stuff. They kind of take care of all that for you. Hmm. Um, and then on top of that, they manage the, the, a platform, a set of platform services uh, for you as well. If mm-hmm. you, you know, want to code in and um, use them, you don't have to. So they're kind of both. It's like operating system as a service. So you can you can run PHP up there, Java, whatever, um, C++. But, um, you know, I think most people think of it as a platform as a service, especially if you're writing in uh, .NET. So which one's better? Well, I think it just depends on what your goals are. If you have an application that, that needs to run multiple programming languages, then, you know, I think of it more as an operating system as a service. You know, if you have some different services that you're gluing together to make an application work. But if you're building something from scratch, you're probably doing it in .NET, and you're probably going to use the, the, the platform that they provide you with the work roles and all that that you mentioned. Um, and then, then you're really using platform as a service. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight Controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems. All of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. We should just mention that what services you get when you sign up with Azure, because, you know, there's there's a lot of, when you, when you just hear the word service, you might think, well, okay, uh, do I get a command line? Do I get a tool? Or do I get a remote access to a full-blown operating system? You know, uh, and that story changes over time. So tell us what you get. Yeah, well, you you really are getting everything above the operating system. Like you're not going to be able to make changes to the operating system, at least not much. And uh, but you you can you can install pretty much anything you want on top of it. So um, and you you one of the nice things about it is if you are a Visual uh, Studio user, you can write your code right in Visual Studio. Uh, you can even run it on your desktop. Tested, you're not having to connect to the internet every time you want to, you know, just run it. Mm. Um, and and then once you're all ready to push it up onto the cloud, you you can deploy it, and it goes right up onto Azure and right from Visual Studio. So it's got a really nice integrated environment for building your application. But it's not a I use a remote access and I get an instance of a server where I'm running the control panel and I'm doing all this GUI stuff, right? That's not it. No, it's not. It's not really focused on that. And in fact, 
in a way, with platform as a service, you're trying to get a, you're, you're trying to pass that. You're trying to, right. um, you know, reduce those extra steps that you, uh, you know, to, to um, yeah, that, that you would have to do as, a, as an administrator. You know, you're trying to avoid that, pass, bypass that. However, I'm glad you said that because, you know, so many people, that's their comfort zone. You know, I, I log in, I'm remoting in, and I got the GUI, and I know exactly what I'm doing. But if you think about it, that's just evil because, you know, the last thing you want is for some dialog box to pop up on your server, on your server, in your server application that says, oh, you have an error or there's some input that's needed at the GUI level, you know? Yeah, well, that's for sure. I mean, that's, that's definitely something you want to avoid. Now, you can use PowerShell. I mean, I assist admins and IT pros, they, they actually can use Azure using a command line mm. uh, language, you know, using PowerShell and others. And, and that's actually kind of important because yeah. um, if you're deploying a large system where you have more than one of a server of your application... More than one instance, yeah. And yeah, you, you do need to deploy them, and, and, you know, you're not going to do that just right from Visual Studio. Um, you know, you do need to test and, um, and then deploy multiple instances, mm-hmm. you want to scale up using the platform, you know, with um, with uh, Azure, you, you actually do get instances, which is kind of interesting, because that's right. not typical with the platform. But you get instances, and so you do need to deploy your code to the multiple instances, and I mean, they, they can do it for you, of course, but right. in many cases, you need to deploy your code, and, and a, a PowerShell or something like that will help. Mm. Yeah, I'm wondering how much of this stuff is still pretty manual, that you have to build your own scripts for deployment, your own test and and, and uh, evaluation of how well your system is running. This sort of dream of automated elasticity, I haven't seen it yet. I don't know that it actually exists. you got to do it yourself. Um, yeah, you know, I've seen some people demonstrate it, but I think they did write the code themselves. However, uh, you can bet that there's companies out there uh, working on deployment scripts for it. I, I don't know where... I don't know where right scale is yet, but I know they were you know, talking about doing some scripting up there and automating deployments. Uh, there's there's other companies I'm sure who are doing similar work, um, and uh, there's a whole ecosystem, of course, in Microsoft's world that uh, of, of third party tool vendors who I'm sure will will come up with something. I'm always impressed with how broad the Amazon ecosystem is now. That there's lots of different bits and pieces of tools you can get to to do a lot of this stuff. Yeah, well, you know, they were they were a little earlier, so they have uh, a head start, and uh, they're also using uh, pretty much plain vanilla Linux and Windows, so all of the existing tools, you know, all work there. Um, you know, they didn't really build a, a new operating system or, or platform as a service, so, right. you know, if you want to do all the command line stuff that you've been doing for all these years, you can still do that. You know, they, this really, uh, the thing that's been bothering me the most is starting to see that migrating applications to the cloud is really tough, that you have to sort of start greenfield if you want to be successful in the cloud. And, and why is that? Yeah. Um, well, part of it is because with cloud computing, you are scaling out horizontally. Um, what that means is you're using some pretty standard uh, hardware that's not necessarily like a supercomputer. It's you know, the typical web server you might find in any just regular web hosting company. 
Um, and in order to scale your application out so that it's um, able to serve you know thousands or tens of thousands of people, you're adding more instances, and um, your application needs to know how to use those instances. So right. you need some sort of uh, load balancer in the in the front, and then the, the database has to be split out from the application. And so if you're if you're running an application that you typically would only install on one web server on some managed service provider or some you know, cheapo web hosting company, um, that application needs to be modified, and it, it's not easy. You know, uh, one of the things that's sort of been on my mind is uh, I'd like to see a .NET Nuke run up on Azure, and, mm. and I don't, I still don't think it does. And you know, it's, it's probably some. I, I'm guessing it can't be that much work to get it to run up there, but um, you know, as of the last time I checked, which admittedly was you know over six months ago, it it, it wasn't running up there. What is the big problem? I mean, you have SQL Azure, which is just a configuration string, and granted, there are things about SQL Azure that aren't uh, you know aren't the same as SQL Server, but most of it's there, and then you have you know, moving your files and your configuration and all that stuff. What is the, where, where do you, when you do a migration and you move, where's the majority of the challenge? Well, first of all, think of it this way. Um, you know, your, most applications are storing to the local hard drive, right? Well, in, in the cloud, you don't really have a local hard drive. I mean, you do, but if you save it on one instance local hard drive, then all the other instances aren't going to know about it. So now, you when you mean save, share. you mean saving, you're talking about just being able to take your ASPX file and your ASMX files and and in your C-sharp files and all that stuff and moving, or your VB files, moving them up. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, I, no, I mean, like, uh, not, not just the application code. I mean, like, if your users are uploading their profile photo, all right. uh, you know, where is that going to store? Which, which instance is it going to store on? Got so it. They're going to have to store it over on... Um, you know, in in, uh, in Azure storage somewhere, and that's not the same code that the, the .NET Nuke is using. So, right, I get it. You know, it's, it's different. And then the same thing goes for the database. You know, even though um, SQL Azure is pretty much the same thing as your regular SQL Server, there definitely are differences. There's um, limitations that they have in order for it to scale in the cloud. Um, and so not all of your you know, SQL and your configurations will work. Yeah. There is a project called .NET Nuke Community Test .net. I'll add the link to the Whoa. show. <laughs> yeah, but it's the it is a project <laughs> to see if they can get .NET Nuke running on Azure and as of November last year or November 2010, they got it to work. But and now they've been certified as powered by Windows Azure. But yeah, well, get, getting it to work and you know supporting it are probably two different things. I am encouraged to hear that though, because that does sound like uh, you know the direction um, I would like to see those types of applications go. But a project like this is the proof we want that migration of complex apps can actually be done to something like Azure. Yeah, I think we're going to see more of that, and I, I hope I'll go take a look at that project if I can remember how to say it. But uh, it, it you know, that, that's exactly what needs to happen. And um, you know, you got community server out there. You know, there's all sorts of apps that uh, we we need to move to the cloud. 
Well, this begs the question, do you think, do you, and I know you can't speak for Microsoft, but do you think that Microsoft should um, t- finally tune all these cloud offerings so that the interfaces closer, uh, you know, resemble or are exactly the same as what we're used to in a managed hosting environment? I don't think so. I don't think they need to tune it to make it, you know. Wouldn't that make like it easy it. for developers to move? If I could just drag and drop, I'm in the cloud? Well, as long as it doesn't impact the whole point of having your app in the cloud, uh, you know. Yeah. And, and who knows? Maybe they can do both. Uh, I just know that it's it's really important to not sacrifice the advantages you get of moving to the cloud. Otherwise, what's the point? Right. And we did a show a while back with Corey Fowler talking about how the Azure platform is supporting all kinds of open source stuff like PHP and uh, um, WordPress. It's amazing how the diversity of support that Azure has. It's it's almost better than I think it's support for .NET apps. Well, I'm not sure I'd go that far, but they certainly can uh, support lots of languages. You know, think of it kind of like Windows. You know, you can run PHP on Windows. Sure. Right? And, um, you know, the, the challenge really is that they they have to figure out how to get .NET running excellent first. And I really believe that they need to, you know, nail that. Hmm. So if you're going to take your .NET application and get it to run on Azure, I mean, that should be easy, hmm. right? Just going back to this whole challenge of of migration, and your point was well taken about, uh, you know, you don't want to sacrifice what's good about that, you know, what's good about the cloud, which is obviously being able to scale out. If you have a web farm and, uh, you know, a SQL Server cluster, and you're in a, you know, you're maybe you're doing it in-house, so you have a managed uh, provider or something like that, do you have those same challenges? Well, you probably have fewer if you're already scaling out like that. So uh, then, then maybe you have fewer. And, and quite frankly, you might want to change some things anyway because mm-hmm. you're, you're probably not taking advantage of all of the, the benefits you might get by moving to the cloud. Right. You have to so, change your session state to be in a SQL server. You have to do. You have to be careful about not locking things in to one particular instance. I understand, but. Uh, you know, but things like storage, I mean, you can you can move from a single box to a web farm, you know, and do you still have those, um, you know, those challenges? We just can't store images uh, on, a, on a local drive. I mean, I understand that if you're on a web farm, yeah, you have to pick a drive that they can all see, but it's still a, a file path, you know, whereas right. in the cloud, you, you don't that, have you a file path. Change. Right, exactly. And so you make that change to your code, and it should work upon you know, Azure. And quite frankly, that's probably one of the least difficult ones to do. Okay. Because what's nice, what's nice about that is your files still stay the same. You don't have to modify the files. You but just have do to you modify how you're uploading them and how you're retrieving them? But do you have? Can you still refer to file paths like you know back back machine name back back or or whatever you know backslash a file path? Or, no, or, that's what I mean. You you have to change that to point to the, you know the H, you know the HTTP location right. of the file. So, so you're going to make some changes, but yeah. it's not a massive change. Well, that's not a big whereas, one. That's no, also, I mean, no, that's whereas, a known whereas, change. Whereas, that's what it takes uh, to switch to your, a CDN. 
Yeah. So what's a big one then? I I think that scarier one would be stuff like caching, where the caching libraries change. Okay, let's go into that. (laughs) I don't know how much work you've done in this area, David. I mean, I'm the I've done a lot of scaling of websites, and every one of those projects is unique. There's no one right way, and I think that's what gets really. You know, Carl painted a scenario that gave me chills. I've got a working, low-balanced web farm, and you want me to move it to the cloud. My load-balancer is going to be different. My caching mechanisms are going to be different. The way I manage station state is going to be different. Like, I'm going to break stuff that was bloody hard to get right. Yeah, and quite frankly, I never recommend somebody just make a huge shift like that. I, I tell them to make it. But well, we want to. Well, what I would recommend doing is take part of that application that, um, you know, you have that's less risky to move and, and move that part first because, you know, if you got, yeah, I don't know how you just do a big switch over like that overnight. That, that'd be pretty scary. I, yeah, I think it, I think it's weeks of work to do that. Yeah. And, and honestly, yeah. you've already done the hard part to actually get a load balance distributed app to run right. You've already made extensive changes to the code. Like that, the, the, I think the big whammy here that makes migration so hard to the cloud is that most apps are not built like that. They are built to run in a server. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. I mean, the, quite frankly, um, you know, moving to Azure from a, a scaled out web app, you've kind of already done the scaling part and Therefore, you're not getting, you know, you've already done all that work. You've invested the, you know, thousands of hours to get that thing to scale right. And so by moving over to Azure, you're not, it's not like you're getting more scaling, or you might be, but it's, it's, you know, you're not getting scaling that you didn't have before. You already have scaling. So it's, yeah, I think you're pursuing a cost savings. Well, yeah, you, you know, there's definitely advantages, but it's, it's not, the main advantage. The main advantage is that you want to build your app in a way that's going to scale. And so if you haven't done that and you want your application to now scale, or if you're starting from scratch, you know, then moving to Azure makes a ton of sense. It's right. For mm. obvious. And, and yeah, moving an existing app that's scaling to Azure might make sense too, because you can remove yourself or remove a lot of like, you know, system administration uh, costs. Um, but it's not as obvious. At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only $6.95. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. Well, we hear, you know, the the catchphrase that we hear is moving to the cloud, you know, move to the cloud. Everybody right. wants to move to the cloud because they've got their stuff in, in-house. It's costing them a lot of money. They could save a lot of money by moving to the cloud. So naturally, I'm thinking, all right, I've got this system already set up. How do I move? I mean, that must be a lot of what the kind of stuff that you do in, in your consulting. I imagine that there's a lot of Azure and Amazon consultants out there and others that that's what they do. Like, I imagine the yeah, demand but, for that's pretty high. You don't just move for the sake of moving to the cloud. You know, um, there, 
Of course not. Does, it actually does mean a specific thing. It, you know, there's there's different types of cloud. You know, there's software as a service. There's, uh, you know, platform as a service, infrastructure as a service, which I think are sort of in the same category. And then there's uh, storage, obviously. You can just back up things to the cloud. Those are kind of like the main categories of cloud computing. Um, but the whole point of cloud computing is to remove the physical and human hurdles that keep your company from being agile. Sure. And and that's the whole point. So if, if you already have that, if you've already set that up, you've already done the work to make your application agile, then you probably don't you know, need to you know move over today. Um, uh, however, that's just not most companies haven't done that. So the cloud offers them the capabilities that right. will help them become more agile. So uh, yeah, that's that's really important to keep in mind. Um, and then as far as you know. There's, there's kind of more detail about the cloud that I think people need to understand, which is, you know, if you're going to move to the cloud, don't just move to some company that says that they have cloud. There's a whole bunch of companies out there that are offering some product that they've had for the last seven years, and they put it through the cloud wash, and now it has, a, you know, the, the letters cloud in it, and they call it cloud computing. You know, be careful not to use one of those. So, you know, forgive me for being blunt, but what I'm, what I think I'm hearing is don't move your existing apps to the cloud. Well, uh, in a way, my point is don't move it to the cloud unless you think it through. Because, uh, you know, you can get all wound up and excited about using something new. I certainly know I like using new things. Well, but, but I mean, there are very good reasons, as you said, and let's say that I want those benefits. You know, I have too much infrastructure. I'm paying my IT staff way too much. Um, you know, the the maintenance is a big pain in the butt. Maybe my ISP loses power occasionally. Um, you know, how would that happen, Richard? Do you know ISPs that lose power occasionally? No, that never happens. You know, maybe, maybe, they, maybe you keep hearing from them, yeah, we're getting a generator next month for four years and they never get one. You know? Um, <laughs> that never happens. Never happens. <laughs> And you, and there are all sorts of good reasons to, to be in the cloud and we want that. So, um, I think what I hear you're saying, what I hear you're saying is, you know, you're in for a rough ride. Well, sometimes. And, you know, let's be very specific here. You know, if you've got an application that is, um, you know, a difficult to move application, then mm. you may get gained by moving it, but it's a lot of pain. Right. And, you know, let's start off with the applications where there's high gain and low pain. Yeah. Now, that's the obvious place to start. And right. you know, when you're first building a new application, that makes a lot of sense. Or if you're taking a fairly simple application that you want to scale, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, using software as a service and other solutions that are already pre-built for you, that makes a lot of sense. You know, there's a lot of reasons why the cloud makes sense. Uh, storage, I, mean, I think, makes a ton of sense. Mm. Um, but, yeah, if you've got a really complicated, big honking you know, application that you've worked on for years and you finally have it working the way you want it, I'm not sure that you get a ton of initial benefit by moving that to the cloud. It still may make sense because you may have everything else in the cloud. You don't want to manage two separate environments, you know, overload your IT staff. But, yeah. but you know, think, think that through. I think there was definitely a point where, you know, I've got an app that's running in one server right now when we, we're hitting the limits of that server and I'm getting ready to re-architect it to build it into a low-balance app, now would be the time to say, hey, should we move it to the cloud? Well, and also, oh, I, yeah. think, I think what, what, we're, what we're all agreeing here is you really need to know what the differences are between 
you know, what you, how you do this on a web farm or on a single machine and how things work in the cloud, you need to look at your application, you need to identify those pain points, and there you're going to need a consultant just to be able to look at your code and to tell you, you know, unless you're a cloud expert or, you know, an Azure or an Amazon expert, you, you're going to need a, a real analysis first. And that should determine whether or not it's worth it. You know. Yeah, and, and again, that's why I always suggest start off with something small. It can be a, be a small part of your big application. It can be just a you know a sample app like uh, you know migrating um, uh, you know deep dinners or whatever that's called. Uh, you know, do it, move that to the cloud and see how that goes. But yeah, you know, if you're going to move a big application, I would definitely bring on some sort of consultant who's done it on Azure before. There's still a lot of lessons uh, that are learned. In doing this, it's not it's not a drag and drop. That's for sure. And uh, having having a consultant who's done it before is going to save you just a ton of time. David, have you done anything with the new virtual machine image option in, in Azure? No, I haven't. But I was really thrilled to see that they were offering that because it to me it just seemed like a no brainer. Um, you know, you've got a lot of people out there who are familiar with you know, the virtual machine images and right. being able to save a template of something that you've configured and save it as a, you know, image. And then every time you spin up a new instance on Azure, you can load up that image. Um, you know, you can turn the whole thing, you can save your image, turn it off. And then if you want to test it later, you can turn it back on. I mean, that's just really important. And there's a lot of sysadmins and, and developers out there who are, are familiar with that model. So it's it's a matter of making Azure work the way that you know, we are more used to. Well, it's more EC2-like with that. Well, it is. And that's part of what made EC2 so successful is it was an environment that was familiar. Right. I almost feel like Microsoft did the hard thing doing the worker role, web role approach, which you know makes a lot more commitment to your development model than just, here's a VM, go nuts, do what you want to do. Mm. Yeah, you know, I wonder sometimes if, if that was the right thing to do for them. But here's the good news, is that you know, with um, with the whole Azure uh, framework, you know, Microsoft knows uh, what they want this thing to look like. And right. so now they can go back and add in the infrastructure of the service, and they kind of know what the whole environment is going to look like, and they can build it so everything is going to scale and work together. Um, so I mean, it, yeah, it probably took them. It probably took them a little longer to get to the the simple stuff that I than than they would have otherwise. But um, you know, it, it's looking good now. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how well that actually works. You know, every there's it seems like everything involving the cloud, the devil's in the details. Mm. That it's oh, easy to sure. say, hey, we've got <laughs> VMs now, but then you got to really look. What features do I have? What don't I have access to? There's always limitations. Like they, it's going to take some practice to get good at that. Right. In fact, you know that brings up another point, which is, um, you know, you want a service that when you're talking about cloud computing, you want a service that that meets the criteria, the like the four essential criteria of cloud computing, and it's important to not just move to a cloud service that is just going to give you the same old, same old, because you don't get the benefits of cloud computing. And what are the four? Well, okay, there's, there's a, <laughs> um, 
when people talk about the essential criteria of cloud computing, which people really don't talk about all that much, but mm-hmm. um, sometimes they'll talk about the NIST definition, which is the U.S. Uh, National Institute of Standards and Technology. Right. Um, and they're they're the organization that guides the U.S. government agencies on you know what they should be using for technology. So it's right. a pretty important agency. Um, and uh, they spend a lot of money in the U.S. government, so, you know, people pay attention to what these guys come up with. Um, but I thought their definition was a little bit difficult to understand and, and was definitely difficult to test. So um, over the past two years at all these cloud camps I've been doing, I've been trying to figure out a way to describe it in cloud computing in a way that, that you could actually test and verify. And uh, so... The definition I have is just a slight modification to the NIST definition, but it's, it basically comes down to this. You've got, you want a service that is going to be on demand, and what I mean by that is that the vendor doesn't know you exist. You go to their website, you tell them you want to sign up for an account and turn on a service, and you can do that without having to call them or fax them or anything else. You can get it right away, on demand. Right. Pull out your credit card. Yeah, many times it requires a credit card, but that's fine. And then the um, second one is self-service. Once you've turned on the account put your credit card in, you then want to be able to add users and add services without, again, having to call them or talk right. to them. You should be able to do it right away. And I think most vendors do that part. Um, the, the third one is you want to be scalable. You don't want them to tell you, oh, hey, it's great that you started using this for your um, you know, 50-person department, but now that you're moving up to, you know, 5,000 people, we can't meet your needs. Nice, yeah. It, it needs to be able to scale, and that's up and down. Um, and then number four is it should be measurable because with cloud computing, since it's a service which you don't have any control over, you need to know that you are indeed getting uh, what you what you what they promised you, and you need to know that you can pay for, um, you know, just as much as you use, and you need to be able to get metrics back to tell you how much you use so you can project in the future um, what you what you use or what you'll need. And so those are the four characteristics, on-demand, self-service, scalable, and measurable, and that's O-S-S-M. And if you want, you can actually even pronounce that as awesome. 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 <laughs> <laughs> also, Oklahoma School of Science and Mathematics. Ah, very good. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so, uh, but what's kind of cool is that I've been working on this for a long time and, and, you know, at first it was kind of just like a hobby, you know, some sort of like, almost like pointless exercise, quite frankly. And then, and then it sort of evolved into something a little bit more useful, which is that if you use those four criteria, you can point to a time and place on the internet when cloud computing was first born. Uh, because if you, if you're, if you're talking about a cloud computing platform where you can put your code then there was nothing that met those four criteria before 2006. Right. Well, that's kind of neat. You know, obviously there was software as a service, and there was actually sort of cloud storage already, you know, Akamai and you know, companies like that. But, um, but as far as, like, uh, you know, those four criteria for cloud computing platforms, there, there was nothing, um, at least that, you know, customers were actually using. And then another kind of cool thing about it is that, you know, using those four criteria you are removing the physical and human hurdles from your IT because the physical equipment is being set up by the vendor ahead of time, and and you never have to wait for that. And they've automated the delivery of the service so you don't have to talk to them or wait for them. So you've completely automated the physical and human hurdles on the vendor side. And then 
one further thing is if you were to, you know, in the future, maybe when we have a newer version or, you know, um, awesome 2.0, <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll include an API in front of each one of them. And if you put an API in front of on-demand, self-service, scalability, and measurability, then you can have your internal business systems talk to that cloud service and uh, without you having to be involved, and then you can remove yourself, and now you completely have removed uh, the, the physical and human hurdles. David, uh, we're just about out of time. Is there anything else that you want to bring up that we haven't discussed yet? Oh, gosh. Well, there's so much fun stuff to talk about. Um, you know, I think that's about it for now. Maybe we can do something in the future. But uh, for now, um, I-, I tell you, your, your listeners, if they want to organize their own cloud camp or if they want me to help them out, um, you can go to cloudcamp.org and check out the schedule. If there's a city there that uh, you know we're not running a cloud camp in, uh, send us an email and, and we'll help you get started. So tell us about real quick about the cloud camps that you run. What, what goes on there? Cloud camps are a, a free educational events. Um, in a way, they're sort of like like slightly or less technical you know, Azure boot camps. It's, it's more about um, educating people on, on all topics related to cloud computing, mm-hmm. um, but we don't get as technical as maybe like a boot camp. Um, and we talk about all different vendors, not just uh, Microsoft, but, um, you know, Amazon and Rackspace and all these other companies. And we, we even talk about private clouds and mm. all the different cloud services that are out there, like Trovo and Twilio, who provide you, like, cloud communication APIs. And, you know, there's just lots and lots of stuff to talk about. So, um, Is it all talk uh, or is there any hands-on kind of stuff, too? There's usually a little bit of hands-on, but not a lot. It's it's mostly like under helping people understand things, okay. and uh, and that's that's where we're at today. That's a good thing. Yeah, David Nielsen, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a van by the FCC. Yes, I'm a dog.